Good morning, Trinity Church. Pastor Marvin here. I mean, you, you kind of know that. You see my face. Uh, but I have the distinct privilege and honor to introduce our speaker for today, Pastor Scott Hayes. And Scott uh, is the pastor of Element Church, and he is a good friend of mine and, and an amazing cheerleader for not only Trinity Church, but all the churches in the Lansing area. I could say a number of things about Scott, but there are several things that have surfaced in my interactions with him. He is a man that shows honor. Uh, he shows honor to his King Jesus. He shows honor to his wife and his amazing children. He shows honor to pastors and leaders in town. He shows honor to the bride of Christ. He um, loves the fact that churches should be coming together um, to share this good news with the world around. I love the fact that Scott loves investing in couples. Him and Erica, they have done an amazing job in helping to see couples' lives transform by the gospel, and so they may have healthy marriages. Uh, Scott is a man of humility. Um, he will never, ever point to himself. He is always pointing to others, and that's one of the things I love about him. I love the fact that he invests in my, my son, my son Marvin Jr. And so, Scott, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for being on the wall in Lansing. Thank you for being true to the mission and the vision that God has given you. And so, Trinity Church, would you join me in welcoming Pastor Scott Hayes to the platform? Give him a warm Trinity welcome. Hey, Scott, give him heaven today. Wow. Well, hey, thank you, Trinity Church. It's so good to be with you today. And many of you I do know, and you are my friends. Uh, those of you that I don't yet know, you, will, you are my friend now. So, uh, and I think we're going to be even better friends when we get done today. So uh, anyway, so glad to be here, so honored to be here. Uh, as Pastor Marvin said, I am a person, I love honor because I think honor is a spiritual principle. I think it's more than just being kind. Um, and so I wanted to honor your leadership. I want to honor your legacy as a church. You guys have a legacy that extends decades into this city. And I love how Pastor Marvin kind of gave me a compliment. Thank you. He's not here, but thank you, Pastor Marvin, uh, for saying that I'm a person on the wall in East Lansing. And I, I do believe that you are a church that's been on the wall in the greater Lansing area for decades. So I honor that, and I honor you, and I say thank you. So today I have the distinct privilege to be able to actually talk about the church, which is so cool because um, it's a... Uh, it's one of my passions. It's, as Pastor Marvin said, it's something I'm, I'm really excited about. And I want to get into this today. Before we kind of jump into teaching on the church, I want to kind of lean into where you guys have been. Titus 2.1, right? You guys have been kind of living in this soil a little bit of uh, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And you guys have been kind of leaning into that. What's cool is if you fast forward 13 verses here in the book of Titus, it leads us right into the church. And I'll read that to you out of verse 14. It says, uh, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and then look at this, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what's good. So when we lean into to sound doctrine, actually where it leads us to is to this, to being together and to being his family and to, to being a people that he has called to be his own and to a people of purity and to a people who desire to do what's good. So I'm excited to talk about that today. I'm excited to be friends today. And I'm excited for God to speak to us today. Um, I want to pause before we go any further. I am a person of the word of God. I love the word of God. I love it. And I want to pause and I want to honor the word of God. Because you guys know 
that God's word is living and active. It is, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides down between our soul and our spirit. And the Bible says that it is dividing into the actions and intentions of our heart. So when we read the Bible, we don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads us. It's literally reading us. So as we open God's word this morning, it's not just that we're like, oh, I hear, like, that's a cool teaching, uh, you know, Pastor Scott. Hey, that's a cool teaching, Pastor Marvin. No, no, no. We open God's word and we have an encounter with the living God. And as we're listening to the word, we're changed. God's word is alive. It's living. It's active. It changes us. So my expectation for us this morning is an encounter with life change. So, hey, if you're not there, can we all get there together? Raise your expectation. Get ready because God's word is, an encounter with God's word is an encounter of life change. So I'm excited about that. Let me pray for us quick. I want to welcome uh, those online with us and let me just pray over us. Father, thank you for this morning. God, we, we humble ourselves before you. God, we, we bring our hearts and our minds. And God, we ask you to speak. God, we are open, we're listening. God, we want you to change us. We don't want to be the same when we leave as when we came in. So God, as we encounter your word, God, encounter our souls. We thank you for life change. We thank you for refreshed hearts. We thank you for new friends. And God, we thank you for the gift of this moment in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So cool, so we honored the word of God, so let me quickly pivot to the cooking channel. Does that sound good? Uh, if you know me, you know that that's kind of where I live. I, I like honor the word of God and then I'm just a very practical person. I'm a very simple person in many ways. And so God speaks to me like that. So how many of you watched the cooking channel before? Good. More than the early service. Well done. You guys are obviously better uh, chefs in this service. So um, if you watch the cooking channel, and again, if, if you're like, I'm not a cooking channel person, great. HGTV, sports works, all these analogies work. So you can put in whatever you want, but for this morning, the cooking channel. If you watch the cooking channel, you are watching food being prepared. If you're a steak person, you watch the steaks go onto the grill and they sizzle and we're talking about how you prepare them or watching them being cooked. You can almost smell it, right? You're like, ah, oh. and then maybe you're not a steak person. Maybe you're like um, a vegan. Maybe you're a vegetarian and you're like, you know, it's more for me, Pastor Scott, creamy coconut Thai noodles, miso soup, great. But you can watch the cooking channel. You're watching the food being made. You're learning the recipes. You, you know, you can see the colors. You can see the steam coming off. Can I ask you a question? When you watch a cooking channel, do you have an experience with food? Yes. And no, right? So when you, when you watch the cooking channel, do you eat anything? I mean, unless you have a bowl of something else that you're eating. But, but when you're watching the cooking channel, you, did you know you can sit on your couch for a month and watch the cooking channel 24-7 and die of starvation? Isn't it wild that you can watch food being prepared, you can understand it, you can watch the recipes, you can almost smell it, and yet it brings no nourishment to you? And what you have to do is not just watch something, you have to actually engage something, you have to cook the recipe. You have to get in the kitchen, you have to make the food. And then you actually start to experience the, the sustenance, the substance, the warmth, the beauty of actually eating a meal. Isn't that cool? And so the cooking channel is valuable, but it's not eating. And when I think about the church, I kind of think about it like this. Like, we think about the church, we sit, in the, we sit in churches, we talk about church, we watch church online, hello online, we love you. And, um, and, 
we, we watch, we take stock of, we sit, we listen. Some of us have been in the church so long, it's so native to us, that we're just like, it's just what it is. Can I tell you something? We're supposed to be involved in eating. Because when you watch something, but you have a distanced relationship with it, you actually don't draw from the sustenance of it. And my hope today is that we can actually not just understand the church, but that actually in our understanding of the church, we're called to actually start cooking and start eating in a fresh way. I'm pretty excited about that. And let me just pause for that. Some of you guys are like, well, let's use your analogy, Pastor Scott. I don't cook very well. I watch the cooking channel and I can't cook like that. You don't have to cook like that. You just cook like you. I have a toaster. Come on, somebody, are you here? Like, I can make toast, you know what I mean? Well, you're cooking, because guess what? There's nutrients in toast. Better than watching the cooking channel. So however you can cook, just get cooking. You know, sometimes we don't understand the church. We say, well, I can't cook. I don't know how to cook, so I, don't, I can't get in the kitchen. I don't know how to cook. Well, some of us are like, I don't understand the church. I don't know what to do. I don't do it like that. I can't get in the church. I can't get involved. I can't use what I bring. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. We have to understand the church if we're going to be able to bring what we have. Uh, the church, you guys ready for some, let me, can I add some confusion before we kind of clear, can I muddy the water before we let it settle? What is the church? Ready? The church is a people. It's God's people. Well, that's kind of true, right? The church is God's people. You go, no, no, no. The church is not primarily a people. It's a place. It's like you, you came to church this morning. You, you're in some ways, you're attending church today, but you don't attend a person. That's weird. Like, like a place has a carpet color. So the church has a carpet color. You go, okay, well, it's a people, it's a place. You go, well, no, Pastor Scott, it's kind of more like a DNA. It's like a creed. It's like something we believe. It's like an ethos, like a culture that we have. Well, that's kind of true. The Bible actually says that it's a body in 1 Corinthians 12. In Ephesians 5, it says it's like a marriage covenant. It's a mystery that we don't fully understand it. In Genesis 28, there's a man named Jacob who has a vision where there's a ladder that opens up, heaven opens, and there's a ladder between heaven and earth, and there's angels, spiritual beings descending up and down the ladder, and, and he says, surely God's in this place, and I was unaware of it, and he says, this is Bethel, the house of God. That's the church, the place where heaven opens and earth encounters heaven and God meets with us. That's the church. Say, well, there it is. It's an encounter with God. And in the Old Testament, there was a temple, and that's the church. As the people would gather in the temple, and they would talk about the word, and that's the temple. That's true. And in the New Testament, Paul says, we're the temple, that our body's the temple, and that the Spirit lives in us. And now I'm the temple, and I'm the place where God and, and heaven and earth meet. And I'm, I'm that person. Well, that's kind of true. You go, no, no, it's a spiritual institution. No, no, it's a practical institution. It has a 501c3 and a sign in the front and a carpet color. <laughs> and, the, and the answer is like, yeah. Right, all of those things and more. And so we kind of glaze because we're like watching the church and maybe we think it's like a master chef spinning stuff up in the kitchen and we're not quite sure how to get at it. It's, here's the thing, we all have a toaster and we're all supposed to be involved so that we can eat, so that we can enjoy the nourishment and the enjoyment and the pleasure of actually eating. So I hope in the next few moments that I can get us there in a, in a kind of a cool way. Uh, I have three kind of ideas today. We're gonna talk about Christian unity, we're gonna talk about Christian community, and then we're gonna talk about individual contributions. So let me start with Christian unity and community. Those are the first two ideas. Let me ask you a question. Everybody look at me. I want you to answer this question to yourself. You don't have to answer it out loud. How many Christian churches are in the greater Lansing area? <laughs> Got you. There's, okay, ready? 
I was at a Christian conference, Christian leaders, and they asked us that question. And we're all like doing the math. Like I'm like, grab my calculator. And I'm like, you know, doing this. And the guy goes, stop, one. There's one. If you're a Jesus follower, and, and again, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Jesus. I'm not talking about just what, I'm talking about churches that say, you are my Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. I come to God through you. I throw my life at the mercy of your grace. You died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe in your deity. I believe in your death. I believe in your resurrection. And now, God, I surrender to you as my Lord and Savior. You're God. I'm not. All of my life, all of my wife, all of my family, my kids, my work, my church, my school, my places I go, it's all in submission and surrender to you. God, you are my God. That kind of church, there's one. There's just one. Right? And if you go to Google and you type in church, greater Lansing area, you get a lot more than one. And a lot of people have a problem with that. I don't personally have a problem with that because I think what we misunderstand is that there's Christian unity and then there's Christian community. So, Christian unity, let's start with that, okay? Christian unity is the un, what I'll call the uncountable church. Christian unity is all about the church that we don't know how many people are in that church. It's the underground church in China. It's the mega church in the West. It's the church in the Middle East. It's the church at the North Pole. Do they even have that? I don't know. The penguins are getting saved, I'm not sure. But unity is the state of being one undivided entity. And that is the church uncountable. That is Jesus's, God's son and daughters who come into his body and we are the church. There's one church. That's Christian unity. And in that way, we are all part of the same church. So thanks for letting me hang out with you guys today because we're the church, right? We're the church. Jesus prayed for us as a church. He prayed in John 17. This is before he goes to the cross. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for his disciples. And then he says, I'm not just praying for the disciples. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. He's praying for us. Right, right before Jesus goes to the cross, praying for us. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, watch this, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Do you know one of the greatest evangelistic tools we have as a Christian community is unity? The Bible says, Jesus prays for us, that when we're in unity together, that the world will look on and go, wait, you have, you have people that have different political views and you actually love each other and you actually can talk to each other? Wait, you have people that are different colors and you're actually in the same place together and you actually care about one another? You actually love people different than you? There's gotta be something supernatural to that. And it's an evangelistic call that we have to actually stand in unity as the church. And I love that, that we can honor one another, that we can walk together. You go, Pastor Scott, I don't understand some of the other church. They're weird. Just me, not you guys. You go, like, my crazy uncle, like, uncle whatever, like, he's weird. Well, you know, sometimes we don't understand people's stories. We don't understand what they've been through and where they're going, and so we misunderstand them. And we start to actually use our experience and look at them. We start to kind of judge them. Uh, right now, I don't know if you can hear it. I have a little bit of hoarseness in my voice. Can you hear it? Do you know why that is? You don't. Well, if you were here earlier in the first service, you know, but you, but you, you don't. So I'm gonna ask my, uh, one of my daughters, these are my two, my two daughters down here, I love you guys, uh, to give me a water bottle. So when I speak like this, I always have a water bottle and I didn't have one this morning on purpose because I wanted to do this little analogy with you guys. So that's helpful a little bit, all right? Now, 
why do I need water when I speak? You don't know. But here's the thing. I have a deviated septum. So like one of my nostrils is kind of closed. So I, it's harder for me to breathe. So when I'm eating, when I'm speaking, like there's some challenges. I have challenges. I have problems. And then another thing you don't know is that I've had braces three times in my life. You go, why would that be? Well, because I broke my palate bone, which is the bone that's in your mouth right here. You say, how would you do that? Okay, story time. When I was seven, I was visiting my friend Paul's house, and we were playing Lincoln Logs, because that's what you did in the 80s when you were growing up, and we got bored with that, and we went out to his backyard, and he had a barn. I grew up in Texas. He had a barn. It was like a two-story barn, and then in the second story was like a hayloft with an open, it was an opening to the first floor with a rope that went down. Yeah, you're starting to get it already, aren't you? I hear the groans already. Just wait. Okay, so... Uh, so we're sliding down, we're burning our hands, so we're like, we need gloves. So my friend Paul goes into the house, he comes out with three, there's four of us boys, he gets three pairs of leather work gloves and one pair of nylon snow mittens. And you know who got the nylon snow mittens, because if I had leather work gloves, I wouldn't be telling you the story. So I get these mittens, they get the gloves, they all zip down the line, like Marines are just like down the line, and I'm at the top of this hayloft, and you ever have that still small voice? Don't do that. And I'm looking, and there's a rope, and I clip on, and I stepped off. And what happened was I immediately started free falling. No friction, no traction. I'm just zipping down the line. And I did what you do when you're seven and you're free falling down a rope with nylon snow mittens on. Probably what you all would do too. I tried to slow myself down, so I bit the rope. I mean, it, it kind of worked. <laughs> It did slow me down. I didn't break anything from the waist down, so that was helpful. But I did snap my palate bone and pull all four of my front teeth straight up, but they stayed in my gums. So I remember hitting on the ground and sitting there, and I remember putting my tongue to the roof of my mouth, and there was nothing there. And I tried to yell my teeth, but you need teeth to yell teeth. <laughs> you can try it. You say teeth. You, need, you actually need them there. So I, I yelled something like, my teeth, like that. And I remember running out of the barn, and Paul's mom was gardening, and I ran toward her with four, feet, four teeth sticking out, and my teeth, like that, and I think she fainted. I know my mom fainted four times at the hospital. So I was at the hospital, long story short, the doctor fixed me up, they were baby teeth, thank goodness. I still have some issues, because the things that you go through in life cause issues. The things you go through as an organization cause issues, and sometimes you just have to have a bottle of water when you speak. And you go, why did you, if you would have, before I just told you the story, you go, why did you take 30 seconds and get a bottle of water when you're speaking? Because I have issues. And so does uncle so-and-so in the church. And so, hey, we're a family. We, have, we all got stories. We all got issues. And until you take the time to have grace for someone and understand where they've been and where they're going and how they're operating, we just need more grace together in Christian unity. We need to love each other. We need to go, that's weird uncle so-and-so. I don't get him at all. But I love him because he's my uncle. So Christian unity, it's the uncountable church. Sometimes people are dealing with things that we don't know and we don't understand. We need to have some grace for each other. Number two is Christian community. So if Christian unity is the uncountable church, we don't know how many people are in that. God knows, but we don't know. That's Christian unity together. That's one church in Greater Lansing. Then we have Christian community. 
which community is defined as a group sharing a common understanding, language, goals, laws, manners, values, and traditions. And in a certain sense, unity, Christian unity is that. But Christian community is Christian unity given local expression through one group of people. Trinity Church is a Christian community. Element Church is a Christian community. I could give you a bunch of other names in our city that are Christian communities. That's when you go to Google and you type in churches, Christian churches, Greater Lansing, and like a bunch of names come up. Those are Christian communities. They're expressions of that, of that unity. They're unity expressions locally. They're local 501c3s. They have a church sign. It's a local commitment with a global understanding. Now, here's why this is really important. Because sometimes I think, when we think about the church, we think, oh, well, that's everybody. It's all Christians. It's every, every Christian everywhere. True. And that unity is abstract and ethereal. We've got to have that rooted out and fleshed out somewhere that you can put handles on and put hands on and actually love and serve people in a community. So let me say it like this. We have to keep our hearts open to Christian unity while being passionately on fire for our community. Like, you need to love Trinity Church. This needs to be like the best place you've ever been. Like, you need to bleed, sweat, cry over this place. Community, Christian community, because yes, it's unity, but it's, we hold our hearts open to that, but it's Christian community. Because just like individuals have different personalities and callings and assignments, so do churches. Did you know that? Did you know that Trinity Church has a call and has, as I said, has been on the wall of this city for decades? Did you know that my family, when I was in high school, attended Trinity Church? Did you know that my wife, when she was in high school, went to Crosswalk Youth Ministry at Trinity Church? So did you know that you being here in this city, investing in this city, giving here in this building, serving with your hands here in this place, actually contributed to my life and my wife and my kids' lives? You didn't even know that. Because your community matters and you should be in love with this community. And I love that. You know, we like to talk about unity and then we like to talk about community and we kind of get lost in there. Paul gives us the analogy to solve all of this. He says that the, the Christian body, the, the Christian church is a body. And that's easy to think about and go, oh, that's cute. Can we do something fun for a second? This is just how my mind works, so just hang with me, okay, guys? Can we have a hypothetical conversation between an eyeball and a fingernail? Two parts of the body, let's do it. The eye says to the fingernail, you don't see nothing. You bump into stuff all day. You're so hard. Like it's like I can touch you and you know, things touch you and hit you and it's like you don't even respond. You're like dead on the inside. And the fingernail would retort back, right? You're so touchy. I protect the fingers and like someone touches you and you're all like, ooh, and you all like freak out. The wind blows and it hits you and you're like, I let help. Can you, they, they have almost nothing in common other than that they're connected to the same body. And in unity, they, say they serve the same function, but in community, they serve fundamentally different functions and the nature that they have of who they are and what they're called to actually contradicts what another part of the body is and is called to. It's required because the body isn't just a fingernail or just an eyeball, and that's exactly what Paul's telling us. But we don't do the work to go, well, we have all these different churches, and they all like da-da-da-da-da. You know what? If all of the Christian churches actually are all in unity with their hearts and their spirits, and then they all feel passionately called to what they're supposed to do, I'm good. I like it. 
I think the Bible likes it. I think Paul likes it. I think Jesus likes it. And you know what's wonderful about the body in an example is, it, is this. It makes us humble because we understand I'm not, the, I'm not the only or most important part of the body. Element Church is not the only or most important part of the body. So we have humility. Trinity Church is not the only or most important part of the body. We have humility. But we also have value. Because I am a part of the body, and Element Church is a part of the body, and Trinity Church is a part of the body. So we can't disregard how important we are, but we also can't elevate how important we are. And then honor. We have to honor what each part does. And that's where I think honor is bigger than just being kind. It's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual truth. And here's the deal. Christian maturity is being passionate about your part of the church without tearing down and disparaging another part of the church. Are you guys here? Christian maturity, fingernail maturity, is being able to say to the eyeball, you're awesome. I like that you're part of the body. You see where we're supposed to go. Thank you for what you do. Hey, I understand when the wind comes through and you freak out and you close with eyelid. That's okay. That's who you are and that's what you're called to do. And hopefully eyeball can look and go, hey, when you get hit with a hammer, thanks for protecting the fingers. Well done, sir. I'm not coming over. I'm not gonna be a fingernail but being passionate about our part of the community, the church, without tearing down other parts of the community. So that's Christian unity, the uncountable church, community, the countable church, the church with carpet color. And then that leads me to number three is individual contribution. So we understand unity and community, then what do we do? And this is where I wanna actually start to talk to us like individually for a moment. So what do we do? This is the missional church. Dr. Tony Evans shares an analogy for the church, and it's one of my favorites. Um, are you guys familiar with an American embassy? You guys are here. I can still see you. Are you guys, are you guys from, this is response time. <laughs> We're all in here together. I don't know if you guys forgot. <laughs> so, so an American embassy is really interesting and unique. It, what it is, is it's, it's a part of America, but, and it's in a different country. But what's interesting about embassies is that even though they're on the soil of a different country, they're sovereign territories. So like the American embassy in China actually doesn't belong to China, even though it's in China, it actually belongs to America. So when you, if you are an American living in China and you get in trouble, what do you want to do? You want to get to the American embassy as quick as possible. Why? Because as soon as you cross the line into the American embassy, you're no longer on, you're on Chinese territory, but you're no longer under Chinese authority. You're under American authority. The laws, rules of China don't apply to you anymore. You crossed over and you're in the embassy. Yes, you're still around China, you're on, but, but you're a sovereign nation. It's a little part of America in China. Isn't that cool? And Dr. Tony Evans says this. He says, the church is heaven's embassy on earth. The church is the place where we go, hey, when you come into God's church, when you meet with each other, when you are part of God's church, the rules are a little different. The peace looks a little different. The joy looks a little bit different. We're just operating according to something a little bit different. You know what I mean? We're a little different. We're a peculiar people. We're an embassy of heaven here on earth, and we know that we can't recreate heaven on earth. We know till we go to be with Jesus, that won't happen. But we know we can have that taste, that foretaste, that peace. And so for us, an embassy... The primary purpose of an embassy is to assist American citizens who travel to or live in the host country. So the, we could say the primary purpose of the church is similar. It's to assist heavenly citizens who travel or live into the host world. Because embassies, even though they belong, uh, they are in the country they're in, they don't belong to the country they're in. And so for me and for you with the church, we don't, 
belong to the world. We belong to, the, to heaven. But we are to create an embassy here in the place we're called for other people who are in trouble. And they're looking for you. And hey, Ele- or, uh, Trinity and Element Church and all of these other churches in our city, we're all little embassies of heaven that people can run into. It's a little bit of heaven a long way from home. John 17, 15 through 17, Jesus is praying, and he says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then check this out in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Tell you something, we're not home. We're not home, but we are called here. Trinity Church, you are called here to this city. You have made an impact. You have a legacy. And can I just speak almost like something, like just with like a vision of the future over it, like you're not done and we desperately need you in this city. I needed you in high school. My wife needed you in high school. We still need you in this city. And you know what? Element Church might be called to do something a little different than you guys, but you guys are called to do something a little different than us. And we need each other. We desperately need each other. So how do you get involved more deeply in the Christian community called Trinity Church that you're in? And this is where we watch the cooking channel and we go, I can't cook like that, so I don't know really what to do. Do you know you're not the only one that feels that way? Do you know I feel that way? As a pastor, I'm like, I don't think you got the wrong person. Do you know someone else that you uh, think is a hero feels that way too? Do you know that in the Old Testament there's a man named Moses? And we think of Moses, he's a deliverer, right? He takes the Hebrew people out of Egyptian slavery and we all laud him and applaud him and he's great. But do you know that Moses had a conversation with God early on that sounds a whole lot like the conversation you have and I have with God when he calls us to do something? You guys wanna see it? So Moses is born, he's a Hebrew. His mom floats him down a river because the Egyptians are trying to kill all the Hebrews. He actually gets found by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh was the leader of the Egyptian nation at the time, the most powerful nation in the world. They bring Moses into the palace. He's raised up in Pharaoh's house. And when he becomes a man, he has this thing in his heart where he's like, this is wrong. The Hebrews are in slavery. And he's like, something has to be done. And so he takes matters into his own hands. He kills an Egyptian slave master, buries him in the sand, gets found out, and he runs away into the desert, and he's there for 40 years. He's walking around one day after 40 years with a sheep stick, because that's what shepherds have. And he's walking with a sheep stick, and it says that he's walking by, and he sees a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. It's not, it's burning, but it's not burnous up. And he's like, that's curious. So it says he turns aside to look, and from out of the bush, God speaks to him, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes for where you stand is holy ground. And it starts this exchange with God. And the conversation sounds a lot like the ones that we have with God. So here's what happens. Moses talks to God, and he basically says this. I'm paraphrasing, but you can go read it. Moses says, hey, God, there's a lot of bad things happening. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of There's a lot of issues. I don't know if you're aware, God, you need to do something. And you know what God says to Moses? Again, I'm I'm paraphrasing their conversation. God says to Moses, I agree with you. Something needs to be done. So Moses is like, so you, I mean, it's great that you're like ethereally gonna do something. You need to like send someone and do something. God's like, that's a great plan. I like that plan. So Moses is like, so how about it? What are you gonna do? And God, if you know the story, God says, well, I'm going to send you. 
And Moses is like, come again? It's actually very similar to a lot of the things we do. We look at our world and we're like, God, everything's broken. God, there's political divides. There's racial divides. God, we've got all this mess. We don't know what to do. God, what are you, are you going to do something? <laughs> there's a problem here. And he's like, I know. I see it. Well, do you want to change it? Absolutely, he says, I want to change it. Well, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to send you. And you're like, come again? And I quoted myself in a sermon because I thought that was funny. I prayed for God to do something and to send somebody, and then I realized I can do something and I am a somebody. And as you look at this story, what's fascinating to me is that Moses has the same excuses and fears that we have, and God gives him amazing answers that are also true for us. And I want to give you four of them quickly. In Exodus 3, 11 through 12, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. So number one, under point three, sub point, who am I? Moses says, God, I'm a nobody. Everybody listen to me. I think this is huge. When God calls us to go into the brokenness, the first thing that comes up for us, God, I'm a, who am I? I'm a nobody, God. I can't deal. I can't do that. I can't deal. I'm a nobody. And you know, a lot of people in our culture, they answer that question by doing this. No, 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 you're a somebody. I call it the gospel of Disney. You're awesome. You're amazing. You have everything that you need. You just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, grit it along. You're a self-made man and woman. You got this. You got this, sis. You got this, bro. Do you know God actually gives a different answer? You know, Moses says, but God, I'm a nobody. And do you know what God says to him? I know. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you could read the text. It's, it's, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he says, yeah, I know. I know. But God says, but I'm a somebody and I'll go with you. And do you know, I love that answer because that answer works for everybody in this building. It works for everybody in the kingdom. Because if I have to be a somebody and I have to be great, then I gotta be awesome. But Moses says, God, I, I'm a nobody. I, I don't know. And, and God says, I know. But I'm a somebody and I'll go with you. And that answer works for you and it works for me and it works for everybody in here. And that's why I love the answer to the first problem that Moses had is I'm a nobody. And God says, I know, but I'm a somebody and I'll go with you. Number two, Exodus 4, 1 through 3, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and they say the Lord didn't appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A sheep stick, he said, it says a staff. In I just like sheep stick better. A staff, he replied, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. The second thought, what if they don't believe me? I don't have what I need. Like God calls us into the broken places. God calls us to serve in the church. God calls us to invest in individually contribute. And the first thing that comes up, the second thing that comes up for us, this isn't gonna work. I don't have what I need. I'm not, I don't cook like the chef on TV. I can't make a meal like that. And I love what God does with Moses because Moses says, I don't have what I need. And God says, basically, he says, what's in your hand? Can we pause this? What was in Moses' hand? It's a stick. And then you know what's really crazy is God gives him instruction on how to be part of this sovereign supernatural plan. Do you know what God tells him to do? Drop it. Okay, I don't know if you guys are with me. I don't know if I'm in the right place. I can hold a stick and drop it. Do you know what you have to do to drop a stick? Literally nothing. <laughs> like that. And as, if you read the story, 
Moses takes the natural thing that's already in his hand and he does with the natural thing in his hand what God tells him to do with it and it becomes supernatural. And he drops the stick and it goes on the ground and it turns into a snake. And if I were there, I would have run because I hate snakes. But to Moses' credit, he stays and he picks it up and it turns back into a stick. And this becomes a thing that God uses. It's like five loaves and two fish. It's like, what's in your hand? What do you have to work with? God says, I don't need you to be supernatural. I just need you to do what I tell you. Just what's in your hand. Use, use what's in your hand how I tell you. I was listening to a pastor years ago, and he said this. He said, we, we pray for tables, but God doesn't make tables. He makes trees. I'll carry, I'll carry that out for a second. We pray, oh, God, I need a table. It's an analogy. I don't actually need a table. Just don't come up afterwards and be like, what kind of table do you need? I don't need a table. Oh, God, I, I need a table. God, would you just, if you would just give me a table, everything would be great. God, my life would be better if you would just give me a table. And God's like, I don't actually make tables. Humans make tables. I make trees. Oh God, if you could just produce a table. If I could just have a table, everything would be better. And God's like, there's a hundred trees that I'm growing all around you. We don't need God to make tables. We need God to show us where the trees are. Humans make tables. And God's like, you have the trees around you. What's in your hand? We're so weird. As people, we're like, God, if you would just fix everything. And he's like, I don't do that. I will do that someday. But I've, and through Jesus, I fixed it. it. It's coming about. But guess what? Part of the coming about is human partnership. And, and God's like, I'm sending you. And you have something in your hand. And you might d disparage it and go, well, that's just a natural thing. That's, you know, uh, I, I heard someone say that a supernatural gift, uh, a spiritual gift is something that's easy for you to do that's not easy for everyone else to do. You look at it and go, that's just a stick in my hand. And you just want me to drop it. What could that possibly do? And God's like, watch me. Watch me. When you do what I tell you to do with the natural thing that's in your hand, watch what I'll do. I love that answer because Moses is like, well, what if they don't believe me? I don't have what I need. And God's like, you have everything you need. What's in your hand? Reason three, Exodus 4, 10 and 11. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. He's starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable now. He says, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. A lot of biblical scholars believe that Moses had a speech impediment. Said, the Lord said to Moses, who gave human beings their mouth? Number three, I don't speak well. I'm not gifted enough. And you know what God says to Moses? He says, I made you. I know where your weaknesses are. I know about your weaknesses more than you know about your weaknesses. And I called you to do it, and so I will work through your weakness. I made you, and I'll work in your weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, but we have this treasure, and it really is a treasure. It's this beautiful mystery in the kingdom that God works through broken people. That he does his work through the foolishness of preaching he does his work through worship. He does his work through community and relationship. He does, he does work in places where people look on and go, that's so weak. And God's like, I don't need it to be strong in your eyes. I know what I'm doing. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So if you're in here today and you're like, I don't know how to cook that recipe. I don't know how to serve like that. I don't know how to invest in the church with my gifts. I'm not sure what to do. God's like, that's okay. I got you. It's a treasure for us to lean into the places where we're weak and watch God work. 
And last thing on this before I move to number four, it, I, what I, I love too is God says, I know your mouth, I made your mouth, I know your weakness, I'll work through your weakness. But then God says this to him, oh, by the way, I'll send Moses with you, or Aaron with you as well. So God's like, I'm gonna work through the place where you're weak, but I'll also send other people to help you too. And you have a community here where you bolster each other's weaknesses. It's a, it's a Christian community. It's a group of people that work together as an embassy under heaven, in the earth. God's given you everything that you need, not because you're great, but because he's great. That be, he's gonna work through your weaknesses and he's given you each other as a community. I just love what God speaks to Moses. And number four, I love this, uh, this call out from Moses, Exodus 4.13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> I'm out of excuses. I have nothing else to try. Just please, just do something. I Just don't send me. Like He's like, I don't even have anything else to say. Just please send someone else. And you know, he doesn't really give an excuse there. But you know, I think there's an excuse behind please send someone else. And I think what the excuse is, is the thinking process of this. My life would be better if I were doing something else or somewhere else. And I don't know if you deal with that the way that I have, but my life would be better if I was doing something out there, something better, something more spectacular, something bigger, something more influential, something, you know, something, some, something else. And there's a guy named Richard Cronwell. He, he shared a story called Acres of Diamonds. He actually founded Temple University, and in the 1870s, he was traveling around the Middle East, and he came back and gave this talk, uh, this story, in a whole bunch of talks. I don't know if it's true, but I know that he shared it extensively. And this was the story. He said that he, he heard a story when he was in the Middle East. He said there was a farmer named Ali Hafed, and he owned a farm, and he would farm the farm, and he had a wife, and he had kids, and he was kind of discontented, but he was working the soil. And there was a priest that would come around weekly and make calls on him, and the priest was sharing stories from all over the world. And the priest would come around to farmer Ali Hafed and would share the story of diamond mines. It, back in that time, it was when the diamond mines were exploding and people were getting incredibly wealthy. And the priest would come and tell him about it. And over time, Ali Hafed, the farmer, started getting discontent. And one day he decided that he was going to sell his farm, he was going to leave his family, and he was going to go in pursuit of diamonds. So he did. He sold everything he had, he packed up, he traveled the world looking for diamond mines. And as the story goes, to shorten it a little bit, he spent all of his wealth and all of his health, and he actually ended up walking into the sea and he died. The priest kept coming around the farm, and as the story goes, as he came around the next week and the next month and the next year, that the new owner of the farm... One day, as the priest came around, the new owner of the farm had a big rock sitting on the mantle. And the priest walked in and he said, what's the rock sitting on your mantle? That's kind of cool. And the guy said, I was farming, I was tilling the soil, and I hit this big rock and I thought it looked cool, so I put it on my mantle. And it was a diamond. And actually, as the story goes, the, the land that Ali Hafed owned was actually India's Golconda diamond mine. The largest diamond mine in the world. You can go look it up and you can go read on it. The blue hope diamond, if you've seen the movie Titanic, the big blue hope diamond, came out of this, this, uh, this property, 45.52 carats. The Orlov diamond, 189.62 carats. And the Great Mogul diamond, 280 carats. All came out of the same field, the same, the same mine, the same diamond mine. And we so often think, I gotta go find diamonds. And what we fail to realize is that the diamonds you're looking for are just in digging the soil you already own. It's in the place you already are. You know, you're like, God, send someone else. Do something else. God, do something great in my life. He's like, I've given you so much to till. Work the ground. 
And as we talk about Christian community, we understand that planted and rooted things grow. If you take a potted plant and you just keep moving it around, it never grows. But if you put it in the ground and you plant it, can I just tell you as a church, hey, Trinity Church, plant here. Put your roots down here. The diamonds are here. Work the soil, till the soil. You're an embassy. We need you. (laughs) Steward your time, talent, and treasure. Do it here. I want to close with this story. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's Matthew 20. And I actually own a Bible leaf of this passage. It's in a, like a clear case thing in, in my house. Because this, this has so impacted me. Uh, the, my Bible leaf's out of the Geneva Bible. It was originally from 1557. My, my version's from 1597. It was the Bible that came over on the Mayflower. I mean, my Bible leaf didn't probably come over on the Mayflower, but might not even be real. Who knows? Doesn't matter to me. It's very precious. Matthew 20. I'm going to paraphrase this story for us, but in Matthew 20, Jesus is talking, and he says this. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a, a landowner who owns a field, a vineyard. And it says, he tells his servants to go out and hire workers for the field. I will read a little bit of this in verse 2. Uh, Actually, into verse 1, it says, uh, early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and then sent them into his vineyard. About 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever's right. They went out again about noon and then about 3 and did the same thing. About 5 in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around and asked him, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said, go work in my field. So, so there's a, a landowner. He owns a vineyard. He's sending his servants out to hire people to come work in the vineyard. And what they say to the 6 a.m. people that they hire, we'll pay you a denarius. And then 9, noon, 3, 5, they say, just come work and we'll pay you whatever's fair. As the story goes, as you read it, at the end of the day, the vineyard owner says to his servants, go pay everybody. And then this is the kicker in the story. And if you know the story, you've heard this and you know this. He says, pay the late, pay the late guys first. You could pay the 6 a.m. guys first, a denarius. They'd have left and not thought anything about it. But they don't do that. They pay the late guys first. And they pay them a denarius. And then they go to the 3 p.m. and pay them a denarius. And the noon, pay a denarius. 9 a.m., pay a denarius. And then at 6 a.m., those, those guys are like, we got money coming. I mean, the, the 5 p.m. guys are getting a denarius. We're going to get something better than that. And they pay them a denarius. And the 6 a.m. guys are upset. And they're like, what are you doing? And the vineyard owner says, are you mad because I'm generous with what I, what's mine? With what I own? So I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, probably about 10 years ago now with a small group of pastors, probably about 20 of us. My pastor was there. And he preaches this story, and as he gets to the end, he applies it to Christian leaders, so you'll have to bear with me a little bit on that. He's speaking to pastors, and he says this. He says, guys, he says, when Jesus called us, didn't we just agree to work the field? And he's like, but then we get into the field, and he said, we start to look at this church has this many people. And this church in this city has better weather. And this church in this city, man, that city's so cool. And Trinity Church has smoke machines. And we start to look around and we start to get discontented. And like Ali Hafid, the farmer, we start to go like something better is out there. And we start to get discontented. And my pastor, while I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, he says, Matthew 20, he preaches it. And he says, 
just, just you got called, isn't that enough? And the payment, it's enough. We gotta get our hearts right. So I'm under a, a ballroom table in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Hyatt Place near the airport in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm talking to God. And I'm like, God, I, I grew up in Texas. I like the warm weather. I'm in Michigan now. You should do something about that. I'm like, God, I'm in East Lansing, Michigan, and all of my friends run these bigger churches where they can be in the suburbs and kind of raise people up. And I said, all the people I raise up, we actually send on down the river because they, they leave our city and they go lead somewhere else. I know it's a kingdom win, but I got rent to pay. Are you guys tracking me? I could take you deeper into that, I promise. I could take you deep into conversations I've had with God, but here's what's interesting. I bet you've had conversations like that with God too, about your situation and about the things in your life. So I'm under the table and I'm talking to God and, and this is embarrassing and I, you know, we're family, so right, not too many people will hear this other than like all the people watching on the live stream. Hello, live stream. <laughs> it's a broadcast for everybody. And I'm under the table, and it, this is embarrassing, but I, the expression of my heart to God, I said, God, I'll do what you've called me to do. I'll swallow the bitter pill. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but that was a genuine, it just came out of my heart. God, I'll swallow the bitter pill. I said, but that doesn't sound like you. It was one of the clearest moments in my life that I sensed the Holy Spirit, and I sensed the Holy Spirit just speak to my heart, and he said, you're looking at the wrong reward. Everybody in the story is focused on the denarius. Said, what if the, what if the reward, the true reward, wasn't the payment at the end of the day, but what if the true reward was actually getting to work in the field with the master? Because if the reward is getting to be in the field with the master, then the 6 a.m. guys got to work with him all day long. They got to be right in the thick of everything the entire time. And if you go read the story, that's exactly what it says because they keep going to the marketplace and they're like, why, is the, why aren't you working? Why don't you have any purpose or meaning in your life? And they're like, no one's hired us. No one's called us. I mean, I'm, and, and they go and they keep hiring. So the 6 a.m. guys got to be in the field the entire time with the master. And I believe that the greatest reward is not something out there. It's actually being with the master, doing the work he's called me to do where he's asked me to do it. Can I tell you, I'm so thankful to serve where I serve I am so thankful to do what I do. It has its hard days, but I get to be in the field with the master. He's called my name and he's called me. Can I tell you something beautiful? He's called your name too. Every single one of you are a part of this church. Every single one of you are part of this embassy. Every single one of you are part of building this. Every single one of you are invited to take the natural thing in your hand that you look at and you go, that's just a sheep stick. All I gotta do is drop it. That's not even special. And it is. It's supernatural if you'll do it the way he calls you to do it. And here's the deal, you guys. The church is not about something we watch. The church is about something that we are a part of. So we have to understand Christian unity. It's the uncountable church. We're all on the same team. We hold our hearts open to that. We understand that even though we're a part of Christian unity, what Jesus prayed for and the greatest evangelistic witness that we have, we also understand that he's called us to community, that our church has a carpet color. And that we're supposed to be passionate and, 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 and in love with the place that God's called us to because we have unique gifts and talents and assignments. And Trinity Church, you have been on the wall and you will be on the wall. Sell out here, plant here. 
And then we understand that we all have an individual contribution to make. And even though we watch the cooking channel and say, I can't cook like that, even though, like Moses, we talk with God and we say, I'm a nobody. He says, I know, but I'm a somebody. We talk to God and we have all these excuses. And he says, I'll be with you. I'm going to use you. I don't need you to be spectacular. I'll do that part. You just do what I told you. Oh, God, send us a table. And he says, ah, I have trees all around you. I'd like to pray for you and just pray kind of through some of these threads as we, um, as we close. I believe that Trinity Church is such a significant piece of what God wants to do in this city in the next season. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Make this your field. Make this your field. Give here. Serve here. Love people here. Love God here. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for the gift of this moment together this morning. I thank you that we can be together as family. God, I thank you for the legacy and the history of Trinity Church. God, it's impacted my life in so many ways. But God, I thank you that Trinity Church's best days are ahead. And God, with your sons and daughters who are in this room and your sons and daughters who are part of this church watching online and your sons and daughters who are part of this church here at 9.15 a.m. this morning, God, you are building an embassy in this city. An embassy where heaven can open and a ladder can be installed and God, your blessing can come down and touch the earth. This is a sovereign place that belongs to you. And God, you're building it as you see fit. God, I pray for a fresh wind of Christian unity, God, in all of our churches in the city. Every church that carries the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, I pray, God, that you'd knit our hearts in unity together. And then, God, as we're knit in unity, I pray that you would allow us to be passionate about our individual communities, that it's not division, it's actually specialization. And, God, you're calling us to be passionate about our assignment without disparaging someone else's assignment. And then, God, I pray for the individuals in this room that make up your community here at Trinity Church, that each one of them would know they have a unique contribution to make. That'll look different for each and every person. But, God, there's things that you've given each one of us that feel like, oh, that's something I could do. And I speak against the voice that says that that's insignificant. Because, God, you can take the natural thing in our hand and make it supernatural. And so, God, I pray just a fresh passion for this house here with your sons and daughters. I pray for a fresh fire, God, a fresh wind of your spirit. God, I pray that you would just continue to build this embassy called Trinity Church. Thank you, God, for them in this city. Pray your blessing over them. Thank you for their leadership. I honor them today. And, God, we thank you for your church. We're your sons and daughters. We're your people. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to call the prayer team up. And if you need prayer for anything, please come forward. And I just want to challenge you as maybe sit for a moment and just think, what's the one thing that I really heard today from the Holy Spirit? And what's the one thing I need to do this week because of it? We love you. Uh, You are dismissed. We'll have prayer teams up front.